Good morning. Right, before I get into uh, this morning's message, I just wanted to uh, honour some people over the past year. Grace and I have been running what we call a leadership cohort. We've been working with uh, five couples, three from here, two from 502, who we've been uh, seeking to input and help develop leadership and seeing uh, what helping develop the gifts that God has given to them, and, uh, and so that we can be blessed as a church more and more. And this morning, I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that and have a little bit of a graduation ceremony. So, if Emmanuel and Radhika and Carlos and Becky and uh, Will and Helen can come and join me. Let's give them a round of applause. So we have been meeting together regularly over the course of the year and uh, making these guys work pretty hard, giving them lots to think about and talk about and uh, uh, working through what, it, what we believe, what our vision and values is as a church. And they've all been extremely diligent in what they've done. It's been great fun being with them. I've really enjoyed getting to know them better. And uh, I've learned a lot from them as well. It's been really helpful for me, enriching for me, and I hope for them as well. And I think... If you're a regular here, I think you'll recognize that all three of these couples have we've seen step up in terms of their contribution amongst us over these past 12 months, which is exactly what we were hoping to achieve. So, well done. So, I have certificates for each of you. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Montgomery. <laughs> Carlos and Rebecca. Thank you very much. Emmanuel and Radhika. There you go. Well done, guys. So we're running another of these cohorts starting in September with another bunch of people and uh, looking to keep strengthening us as a church because God uh, works through his people and we want to see people's strengths and gifts recognized and utilized more and more. So thank you guys for what we've done this past year. Thank you very much. Looking forward to what God does through you amongst us in the months to come. Yeah. Thank you. You can put that on pride of place on your wall there, Carlos. Nice frame. Nice frame. Big frame. frame. You can get a picture of me to put next to it. Cool. Okay, I'm finishing off this morning what's been a three-part series called Being Human, in which we've been thinking about what it is to be a human being, especially in the context of a society which is increasingly technological. And so we've thought about what it is to be a body, that we are flesh and blood, organic spirit beings. We've looked at what it is to sleep and to die and how we should think about those things. And this morning, I want to think much more about technology specifically. Now, I've got far too much to say this morning already, and there's a whole lot more that we could say. It'd be worth talking about at some point. All the new developments in artificial intelligence and robotics and all the opportunities and potential threats of that are things that we'll need to think about in the years to come. Uh, But this morning, I'm particularly wanting to focus upon our phones and social media and talk about those two areas. Uh, And because I'm doing that, I'm not going to be talking about Jesus as much as I normally would. Normally, we open a passage of scripture, we see how that passage of scripture points to Jesus, what he's accomplished for us. It's a little bit different this morning, but I do think Jesus cares about these things because I think Jesus would want us to be the human beings he created us to be, that he didn't make us to be microchips in some giant computer processing system. He's made us to be men and women 
created in the image of God, to reflect God, to know him, to honor him. And so I think Jesus is concerned about these things. And so while I might not be mentioning the name of Jesus as much as I normally would this morning, I'm very much hoping that Jesus is present amongst us and he's helping us to think about these things as as the people of God. So let me pray and ask for Christ's help. Lord, I thank you so much for your body. I thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for uh, the members of this body. Thank you for the way that we are able to bless and serve one another. I thank you for how we see you made manifest amongst us through your people. And Lord, I pray that today as we think about issues of contemporary technology, that uh, even as we think about those things, that somehow our spirits and our minds will be directed towards you, that you would be glorified, and that you would help us to work out as a community how we live in a way which does honor you and helps us to reflect you. I ask in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we live in a technological age, and that affects how we view the world and how we understand ourselves and also changes the things that we can do. Uh, Last week I spent a few days away with some friends cycling in France and the only reason I could do that was because of technology. We cycled to Portsmouth and then got on a ferry. If there wasn't the technology of a ferry, we wouldn't have been able to cross to France. Uh, There's a technology of the bike itself, which is pretty simple and hasn't changed for 100 years in any significant way, but is still technological. There's a technology of the roads, that a road bike doesn't really work unless you've got smooth tarmac. And one of the joys of cycling in France is that French roads tend to be much less potholed and much smoother than English ones, and that means you get much less tired cycling in France. There's the technology of the clothes, of a helmet which can keep you safe, but is lightweight. So the whole thing is made possible by technology. Without that technology, the trip would have been impossible. At one point, our technology went a little bit wrong in that the uh, computer navigating system uh, directed us to carry our bikes across a field, and at that point realized actually no technology is important, it needs to work when it doesn't, things don't work as they should. Now changes in technology change what we do, how we understand ourselves, how we see the world, what we can do. It's changed how we speak about ourselves, that we increasingly do speak about ourselves in kind of machine terms, which I think is a very negative thing. I've just been listening out this week as I've been uh, listening to the news and, and reading stuff and just observing how many times people talk about humans being hardwired for particular behaviors. And I know that's an expression I've often used myself, but it's actually a terrible metaphor because we're not hardwired for anything. We don't have wiring. We don't have microchips. We're organic, spiritual beings. And so to talk about us being hardwired is actually to confuse us with something that we're not. God's made human beings, not human machines. But we have been made for a purpose, and uh, that purpose is given to us right at the beginning of the story. And this is going to be the key verse for us today. We're going to keep circling back around this verse. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We were put on the earth with a purpose to work and take care of the creation that God has made. God created us to work and take care of what he had created. And because he made us in his image to reflect him, that means that we also have the potential to create things ourselves. And we're to create things which help us to work and take care of what God has given us to to work and take care of. And so the the ability to create technology is good. It's God's gift to us. 
that God enables us to create tools which help us to work, help us take care of the world which he has made. Author Tim Challies describes technology like this. Technology is the creative activity of using tools to shape God's creation for practical purposes. That's good. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to create stuff. We're meant to make stuff to help us to care for and work in the creation that God has given to us. The trouble is that like everything else in the world, uh, technology has come under the power of the curse. Because men and women rebelled against God, sinned against him, our work became cursed. Rather than being easy and fruitful, it became thorns and thistles. And our technology is also under that curse as well. And that means that often our technology, rather than helping us to work as we should and care for the earth as we should, becomes something which either can become an idol, that we put our trust, our hope, our security in our technology, or it can be something which further uh, compounds our rebellion against God, that the technology we use or the way that we use it just makes our rebellion against God even more rebellious. And that's the, the problem that we have to think about when we think about how do we use technology. And we need to think about how fast things have changed. Now, we all know that things have changed fast, but we can forget just how fast the world has changed. It was only in 1802, just over 200 years ago, that Richard Trevethick created the first steam locomotive used in Cornish tin mines. It wasn't until the 1830s that a steam locomotive could go faster than a horse. So less than 200 years ago, up to that point, the world had never gone faster than horse paced. Nobody had traveled faster than horse pace, except they'd fallen off a cliff. So basically, if you... <laughs> Nobody had gone faster than a horse and lived, essentially, <laughs> up until less than 200 years ago. It's just mind-boggling. It's such a short period of time in the history of, of the world. And then think how fast, when they invented the steam engines, how fast things changed. In, the 18, in 1830, in the United States, there were only 40 miles of railway. What's that? It's like from here to Southampton. That's all the railway that existed in the States less than 200 years ago. 10 years later, by 1840, there were 10,000 miles of railway. By 1900, there were 160,000 miles of railway in the US. And the way that we looked at the world changed because suddenly trains meant we could get places. And then it wasn't just trains, it was the way we communicated. In 1844, again, less than two centuries ago, Samuel Morse sent the first telegraph on a cable 37 miles long from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. And the first telegraph read, it was a quotation from Numbers 23, 23, what hath God wrought? And what an appropriate first message in that first telegraph. 1844, by 1870, India was connected to the telegraph. By 1872, Australia was connected to the telegraph. Suddenly, we were communicating around the world at a speed which had been unimaginable to every previous generation, every previous people. And then the phone came, and then the TV, and then the computer, and then the mobile phone, all in rapid succession. And when we put the computer and the phone together, everything changed again. That moment when the phone and the computer were linked up, and suddenly we had the internet, and the world changed once more. In December 1990, just 28 years ago, there was only one website in the world. Amazing. The speed keeps increasing. In 1999, just eight, 19 years ago, 
It would take Google a month to crawl through 50 million pages and create an index. Now Google does that in less than a minute. You type in a Google query, and a thousand computers get to work, and in point two of a second, ping you back an answer. Well's changed. Technology writer Kevin Kelly says this: Every second of every day, we globally manufacture 6,000 square meters of information storage material: disks, chips, DVDs, paper film, which we promptly fill up with data. That rate, 6,000 square meters per second is the approximate velocity of the shockwave radiating from an atomic explosion. Information is expanding at the rate of a nuclear explosion. Now, in this information age, we can start to think about everything as just data. In the industrial age, the age of steam, we start to think about human beings as cogs in the machine. The Jobs which so many people had were like cogs. You stood in production line all day and just operated as a cog. In our information age, we start to think about people as microchips in a processor. You're just processing data, and so many of what you do, so many people here, what you do in your, in your work is processing data. It's all about information. It's all about data. But we are not machines. We are human beings. And we need to work out how to work and how to live as human beings, not as chips in a computer. Now, the challenges of our age are distinct because all these things are so new. But how we use technology has always been a challenge. Look what King Solomon said about this thousands of years ago, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Now, in our age, we think that we can have all that our eyes desire. That's what technology seems to offer to us. Our phones offer us all our eyes could desire. Our phones open the world to us. We can get the whole world on our phone, and we think we can have everything our eyes desire. But where that often leads, it seems to me, is not a sense of satisfaction. Where it can lead is what Solomon experienced in his context, which is chasing after the wind, meaningless toil. Now, why is that, and what can we do about it? Now, I recognize there's a, a minority here this morning who you do not have a smartphone, and you do not have Facebook, and you don't have Instagram. Uh, 
That is a minority. The danger for you is you can start to feel smug as I'm talking. <laughs> but actually, even if you don't, this is a community thing we're talking about. Like the other things we've been talking about these last three weeks, we need to work out how to do this as community. So whether you have technology or you don't, it's something that affects us all. And we also need to not just be negative, because there are many positive things about modern technology. Just three quickly to think about. One is our connectivity. It's amazing what we can do now because of modern technology. One of the things I'm currently working on is developing an online theology course. And on Friday, I was Skyping with a friend in Australia who's helped me with that. Now, that's mind-blowing. 30 years ago, we couldn't have done that. I couldn't have Skyped with a friend in Australia. We couldn't have thought about running an online theology course which will serve people in churches around the world. It's amazing what we can do now, the way we're connected to things that are open to us. Think of how technology serves us in connecting as a church. We use an app called Church Suite on which we store details and keep rotors and have information. And it's really helpful to us if church members have Church Suite on your computers or your phones because it helps us to stay in contact. It helps us to connect. It's really useful to us. Think about friends around the world who I'm able to stay in touch with because of technology. Think about how our community Bible reading groups work, that we can be at our homes reading our Bibles, and then we can connect on a WhatsApp group or a Voxer group or a text group and say what God has been saying to us that day. That's amazing. We didn't used to be able to do that. That's fantastic. So there's connectivity is a huge positive benefit of technology. Efficiency is good. There's so many things which we can do easier because of technology. I wouldn't want to go back to old-fashioned banking. I'm glad that I don't have to wait to the end of the month for a paper statement to tell me where I am. I'm glad that I can any time check what my bank account is and can, don't have to go and queue up at a bank to post checks in. It's just so much easier now. I like that. I like the fact that some, where you can, some of the things you can do with shopping now. If, uh, if I buy things for cycling, I buy it from Wiggle, which is like the cyclist Amazon. And the trouble with online deliveries is you're never in when they come, but... Wiggle uses Collect Plus, which means they deliver to a shop. And so if I buy something, text message comes through to my phone when it's arrived at McColl's on Aldero Parade. I wander along, show them the barcode, pick it up. If I don't like it when I've seen it in the flesh, I just take it back to McColl's and it gets sent back for free. That's amazing. It's amazingly efficient. I love that. It means I can buy loads of stuff, try it all on, then send it back. And not have to pay anything. It's amazing. There's the possibilities that technology opens up for us. Things that previous generations couldn't have imagined. There's all kinds of things you can do creatively because of technology, which previous generations couldn't. It's amazing what you can do with music and with images now because of technology. Just fantastic. And there's all kinds of opportunity for making money. And that's good as well. There's all kinds of businesses that have got started and will get started because of things which we'd never even thought about, but which technology now make possible. And so that's brilliant as well. So technology is fantastic because of its connectivity, its efficiency, and its possibility. But there are challenges, and that's really where I'm going to focus this morning. There's a growing awareness of the downsides of tech, and it's been amazing just this past week, how many things I've seen in the media, people talking about the downsides of tech. Just this past week, we had a letter back from our kids' school saying that from September, phones are going to be banned in the school. And these were the reasons they have given, which I think are superb. While technology can bring advantages to teaching and learning, its use in schools has been shown to have a negative impact on working memory. We increasingly see students using their mobile phones during break and lunch times instead of talking, laughing, and getting involved in activities. 
Over time, this impacts on the ability to form meaningful relationships and wider interests. Clearly, the internet is an amazing tool, and it is part of our role at school to educate your daughter to use it safely and wisely. But students do not need a mobile device to allow us to do that. Social media and the internet can be a needless distraction in the working day. And the risks of overexposure to social media and the internet are well documented. They can also lead to online bullying and abuse. We want to work with you to reduce our students' dependence and vulnerabilities to such media. I got that email this week, and I thought, wow, that's my sermon done. <laughs> Five bullet points. Thank you, Parkston Grammar School. Brilliant. So let's talk about our phones. Why are our phones so addictive? I've been doing a lot of traveling the last few months, and whenever I go to catch a train, I just stand and look at other people and observe how everybody else is always on their phone. Why? I think one reason is because our phones, in Solomon's terms, seem to offer us everything our eyes desire. The world is there. Everything your eyes desire, you can find it on your phone. Another reason is because our phones make me the center of the universe. Because the whole universe is there. All the information I could possibly want, anything I want to look at, it's all there. And so I'm on my phone and it somehow makes the world about me. I'm the center. I think another reason is because our phones help us to avoid interacting with other people. And people cause friction. And so it is easier to fill up your car and pay at the pump and have to go into the shop and talk to somebody. It is easier to do online banking than have to go into a high street bank branch and talk to somebody. It is easier to order your stuff online and pick it up from the shop rather than have to actually go in a shop and talk to somebody about what you might want to buy. And so it eliminates people, which eliminates friction. And a really big reason is because our phones just distract us. And so many of us just want to be distracted because we'd rather be distracted than face the realities of what life is bringing. And so we all just stay on our phones. And I think to understand ourselves as human beings, not human machines, we, at least some of the time, need to put our phones away. Because the offer of all that we desire is illusory. You might see it all on your phone, but you can't have it all. And... I really am not the center of the universe. And when my phone tells me I am, it's lying. And we do need to engage with other people and not see other people as the problem. We're meant to be in relationship, in community, in friendship with others. And I think we need to fight distraction because we're not meant to be distracted. We're meant to focus and get stuff done. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. How are you going to work and take care of stuff if you're constantly distracted? You can't. Imagine Adam in the Garden of Eden. Sorry, Lord, I'm too busy on my phone. It's just crazy. So a personal small war I'm fighting, so far almost totally unsuccessfully, <laughs> is in meetings which I'm leading is to try and persuade people not to bring their phones to the meetings I'm in, that we're in together. Why? Well, firstly, it's just rude. Why is what's happening on your phone more important than the person who's actually physically present in front of you? I mean, it's, how do we get to that place? It's crazy. It's just so rude. The second practical reason is that our phones actually have a very negative impact on how well we work. 
I found an amazing report in the Harvard Business Review. A survey was done of, a study done with 800 people about problem solving and memory ability. And they divided those 800 people into three groups with their phones. Some of them had their phones just face down on the desk in front of them. Some of them kept their phones in their pockets, and some of them were made to leave their phones in another room. And with all of them, the phone beeps and vibrations were turned off so that you weren't aware when notifications were coming in. And then they did tests about problem solving and memory ability. And what they found was that the people who performed best were those who had their phones in the other room. Those who performed next best were those who had their phones in their pockets. People who performed least well were those who had the phone face down on the desk in front of them. Actually, they found that those who had the phone on the desk in front of them, their ability to solve problems and remember stuff was as impaired as if you were suffering significant sleep deprivation. And the study concludes this way. The mere presence of our smartphones can adversely affect our ability to think and problem solve even when we aren't using them, even when we aren't looking at them, even when they are face down, and even when they are powered off altogether. Wow. So don't bring your phones to meetings. Why are phones so powerful? What the psychologists tell us is that it's like if you're in a busy room and somebody calls out your name. Even if you're busy, you will turn because you're attuned to listening for your name. You just hear it, and so you turn whatever you're doing. Or if you're a parent and your child cries, you, you're attuned to it and you turn towards it. And phones train us similarly. We get similarly psychologically connected to our phones, that so we have to pay them attention. And if we hear them beep, we have to respond, like somebody calling our name. And even if they're turned off, we still want, kind of want to check them and see what they're up to, because not responding to our phones causes us anxiety, because we get so psychologically connected to them. And what that means is that the machine is actually controlling us. It wants us to be part of it. We think our phones give us everything, they, everything our eyes desire. We think our phones put us at the center of the universe. Actually, what our phones do is control us. Technology writer Jaron Lanier says, stop calling yourself a user. You are being used. Phones are like electronic Coke. Let's think about social media then. Just to cheer us up even more, let's talk about Facebook. <laughs> Julia Powell, who's an expert in tech, Law and policy at Cornell University says, Facebook plays to our base psychological impulses by valuing popularity above all else. Social media is designed to keep you online as much as it possibly can. And social media, all of it, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, they all use psychological tools to keep you watching. They're designed to modify your behavior, not simply a tool for you to use. And the way they do that is some very powerful psychological ways. There's the uh, psychological pull of scarcity. There's a, a post, an update, a, a snap, a, a status. And we're worried that that will disappear and we'll miss it. And so we keep checking in case we miss something. We see a status update. We see that some video has been watched half a million times, or some article has been read by 20,000 people, and we think, we have to stop what we're doing, and we need to watch that video, and we need to read that article, because so many people have, which must mean it is really important, even though it's probably only a cat falling off a chair or something. 
And then the really kind of dangerous thing is the way that Google and YouTube and Facebook and all of them personalize. They're not feeding you anything objective. They're feeding you what they think you want from what you've liked before. And so it becomes, rather than opening the world to you, actually what you see on your news feed becomes narrower and narrower. And we worry, wonder about why society becomes so polarized and why our debates become so bitter. And then you involve your friends, and your friends involve you, and they like what you've liked, and if they don't like what you've put up, then you get terribly anxious about it, and because your friends are there, you think, I can't possibly stop doing this, because if I stop doing this, I won't have any friends anymore. And the whole thing is summed up by FOMO, fear of missing out, that we think if we're not online all the time, we're going to miss out. Facebook likes, and on WhatsApp, the double tick, you send a message, you know it's gone because it's got one tick, and then you know the person's read it because there's two ticks, and then you're waiting, you know they've read it, why haven't they responded straight away? And the person who's got it and read it knows that you know they've read it, and they're thinking, I need to respond straight away. And so we spend all our time responding to one another when we don't actually need to necessarily. A particular one for me is a thing called Strava, you might know, Strava is Facebook for runners and cyclists. He, uh, record your runs and your cycles and your, on your Garmin, and then it appears on the computer and shows what you've done, and then your friends give you, not likes like Facebook, they give you kudos, and tick kudos. And, and, and I just yesterday, I, uh, there's a group of us who've been going out first thing, six o'clock on a Saturday morning the last few weeks to cycle, and I didn't go yesterday, I just felt I needed to stay in bed a little bit longer. And then I checked Strava later, and I saw the guys who had gone, and I saw how fast they'd gone. And, was I thinking, that's brilliant that they, he went and he went, that's brilliant they went so fast, no? And I was thinking, oh no, they went and I was lying in bed and look how fast they went and I need to try harder. Did it make me happy? No. And that's what social media does. Kevin Kelly again, our human natures are being reformed, redefined, remade by technology. Now does this matter? It does. It matters because it makes us less productive, it makes us more depressed, it makes us slaves of giant corporations, it creates the illusion we're more free when we're actually more trapped, it puts idols into our lives which control us. Another writer on tech, William Powers, says, we're effectively been living in a philosophy, albeit an unconscious one, it holds that connecting via screens is good, and the more you connect, the better. I call it digital maximalism because the goal is maximum screen time. Few of us have decided that this is a wise approach to life, but let's face it, this is how we've been living. And so many of us are constantly distracted, and that distraction leads to shallow thinking, and shallow thinking leads to shallow living. And the Word of God says to us, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to not be distracted, but to work it and take care of it. So what should we do? Some practical applications. And I realize I haven't got verses for these, but I'm hoping that they are kind of biblically and spiritually informed. First thing I think we should do is identify our distractions. Ask yourself the question, how good are you at focusing on stuff at work? How good are you at focusing, or how much are you distracted by the constant beeping of your phone and your computer and everything else? Socially, how present are you? Are you present with the people in the room with you, or are you always getting your phone out and checking it? At church, 
When you're praying, how focused are you? How distracted are you? Are you able to leave the house without putting your phone in your pocket? Are you able to go to bed at night and leave your phone downstairs rather than taking it to the bedroom with you? Do you multi-screen? Do you watch telly and scroll on your phone or your iPad at the same time? Do I actually need to keep my phone on all day? As this series has helped me really think about all this stuff personally. On Friday, as I was preparing for this, uh, my phone was there on the desk, and I was thinking, why have I actually got my phone on? I don't want to be distracted. I want to prepare a message for Sunday. Why is my phone here? So I powered it off and put it away. Why do we have to have our phones on all day, do we? Identify your distractions. Second thing, measure your use of media. It's very easy to deceive ourselves. Oh, I don't, I'm not on the internet very much. Download an app, ironically, on your phone, which will tell you exactly how often you pick it up and check it. You'll be surprised and possibly shocked. Be honest about your use of media. The third thing is to consider your digital trail. Everything we do online leaves a trail. It's all recorded, it's all monitored, it's all stored, nothing disappears. Not now, not ever. What story does your digital trail tell? What would you be proud of if your digital history was rolled on the screen for us all to see? What might you be ashamed of? And I think we all need to wise up to how we are being monitored, how we're being profiled, how we're being sold to, how we're being manipulated by Google and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and all of them. And think about what you do digitally, which you could maybe do better another way. Rather than sending somebody a message on Facebook, maybe it would be better to email them. And maybe sometimes rather than an email, you could actually send a letter. I mean, remember those? They used to be amazing. It used to be fun waiting for the post to come. Now it's not, because it's just always trash. But you could actually send somebody a real letter. That would be extraordinary. Or Rather than sending somebody a text, how about actually picking up the phone and making a phone call and speaking to somebody? Or if you've got the time, how about not making a phone call? How about actually going to see someone? Whoa, that would be revolutionary. <laughs> or rather than reading e-books, how about reading books? I know a Kindle can be brilliant. You go on holiday and you're lying on the beach and you've got all your trashy paperbacks and your Kindle. It's much more convenient. But the reality, again, is the research shows that we remember and we learn much more through physical objects. If you're reading a Bible, sometimes you've got no choice, but I would say, as a general rule, read a physical Bible. The way that we work is that we remember things, we see the context, we know where things are much better through physical objects than we do through electronic ones. Use physical objects rather than electronic ones. Rather than taking notes on your phone or your computer, use why not, how about using a notepad? Again, the research shows that we remember things much better if we physically write it down rather than doing it on our phone or computers. Consider your digital trail. Next thing, be alert to what dulls you. What things dull you? What things dull you emotionally and spiritually to your work, to other people, to God? The evidence is increasingly mounting up that the more time people spend on social media, the less happy they are. Be honest. What things are dulling you? What things are robbing you of joy? What things might be an idol? 
way, the way that idols work is they promise you the world, all that your eyes desire. And then you actually become addicted to them and they control you. And rather than giving you joy, they give you misery. And that's so often what seems to happen with our technology. And then practice being undistracted. We have all become practiced at being distracted. We've trained ourselves to be distracted through our phones, through our tech. And the thing we need to realize is that the big technology companies are not neutral. They want to keep you distracted. They want to keep you watching their stuff. And so we need to practice things which will help us to focus on the things we should focus on. One of the things we encourage with our community Bible reading is everybody to have a, a physical journal and to journal to write down your thoughts from what you read in the Bible. That's the kind of discipline, it's the kind of practice that helps you to focus. It's difficult. I know personally I find that difficult because it's not how we normally operate, but it can help train you to be focused rather than distracted. I think something I've had to try and learn more is not just to always Google everything. See something, hear about something, oh, let me Google that. The reality is there's too much information out there. Information is, ex is expanding at the rate of a nuclear explosion. There's just too much, and you don't need to know it all. And so part of our practicing not to be distracted is at times saying, actually, I don't need to know about that. I'm not going to look it up. Turn off autoplay. Go onto the BBC News website. You go onto YouTube, and it's all set up now. So you watch a video, and it auto-cues the next video. And three hours later, you find you've been watching three hours of cat videos because that's what they want you to do. Turn, you can go to the settings and turn it off so you only watch the video you actually want to watch. And then, I haven't got a verse for this one, but honestly, don't wear wearable tech. If you have an Apple Watch, put it on eBay and sell it to some other sucker. I mean, <laughs> a, a phone is bad enough, but at least you can put a phone away, but you've got to watch on the whole time and it's beeping at you the whole time. Every text, every email, every weather update, it's a complete disaster. It's training you to be distracted. Get rid of the thing. Don't buy one if you haven't got one. It's not a good idea. And then, work well. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work well, whatever your work is. Work well. Work hard. Work carefully. And develop habits which will protect you from the tyranny of technology. Technology is a good, it's, for, it's a tool for our use, but so quickly it becomes tyrannical over us. Make technology a tool that you use in your work, not something that ends up using you. Some, I know you all want to know what I've done in response to this, so I'll just tell you how I try and making this work at the moment. So this week I deleted my Facebook account. Thank you so much. Just as I, the more I thought about this, the more I, I've hardly ever used Facebook anyway, but I, just, I, don't, I don't actually want Facebook monitoring me and measuring me and profile me and sending me ads tailored to me. I don't need it. I don't need, I don't know how many hundreds of friends I had on there. And when I look at my timeline, I think, who are you? And so I just deleted that thing. I've taken a whole bunch of stuff off my phone. I've never had email on my phone. I think if you have email on your phone, you're crazy. So distracting. Get rid of email on your phone. I never, but I've also got rid of Twitter from my phone, and I've got rid of Strava from my phone. So I can still look up what, how fast Matthew Ashton's run at Park Run. 
But I have to do it on my computer, which takes a bit more effort than just doing it on my phone. And email limits, one of the things I try to do is, email can be so distracting, so I just have a set time each day when I try and look at email. Look at it, get it done, shut it down, don't look at it again to the next day. Those are the kind of things I try and do to protect myself so that I can work well. And then the last thing I think we need to do is to Sabbath well. And Sabbath is not just lazing. And the trouble is, in our distracted age, what we think rest is, we think rest is being more distracted. What did you do on your day off? Well, I spent six hours playing Call of Duty. That is not rest. That's being distracted. I spent three hours watching cat videos. It's not rest. It's just distraction. It's distracting you from what is real. And what Sabbath should really be is active rest, which engages body and soul, these spirit organic beings that we are with God and with his world. And I think it's really to do that, really hard to do that with your head in a screen. It's really hard to connect with God and connect with his world if your head's just in a screen. And so for me, part of Sabbathing well is fasting from screens. Have a screen fast. Each day, have a screen fast. Have a time each day when you Shut your tech down and put it away. Have a day each week where for a whole 24 hours, imagine, (gasps) panic. You don't carry your phone with you. Have a week, a year when you don't look at your phone, don't use a computer. Take a break. Now, the Clark family have done this for the last six, seven weeks now. They've had a screen fast where the kids haven't had their phones or their iPads and John's changed how he's using tech and... Their story is actually, it's been, it's been some challenges, but actually it's been really good for them as a family. That the kids haven't, the family hasn't fallen apart. There hasn't been total family meltdown because the kids haven't got their screens. Actually, things have got better. It's meant more investment in John and Vicky's part in some ways, but it's improved their quality of life. You might want to try it. Be a human being, not a machine. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Don't be a tool of the tools. Don't be reduced to a microchip. Be human. Don't look to technology for your salvation. Don't look to technology for your hope. Don't look to technology for your joy. Look to Jesus for those things and be the man or the woman you were created to be. Amen. 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 Right, a bit different from normal, but hopefully giving you something to think about. Oh, I'm waiting the emails this week. <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we stand up together and uh, the band will come back. I'm heading down to 5.02, but got a few minutes extra today because we're baptizing at 5.02 and doing that in the middle of the service, so it's given me a few more minutes. So I just, as we come back into worship, I'd just like to kind of direct us a little bit in some response. This is a community thing for us. You, you might be one of those rare people who doesn't have a smartphone, doesn't use the internet, doesn't have Facebook. You might be somebody for whom these are real issues. This is something for us to work out together, and so I'd like us corporately to respond to Jesus and ask his help. So 
Let me lead us in prayer. And as I pray, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Father God, I thank you so much that you did create us human beings in your own image to know you and be in relationship with you. And Lord, we know that we've messed that up. We know that our first, first father and mother messed that up. Adam and Eve messed that up. And we know that we mess it up again and again. And Lord, we know that the good things which you give us, we so often take and we turn to become things which keep us from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would forgive us for the things that we do and the things which distract us, which keep us from being what we're meant to be, from being people in relationship and friendship with you and with other men and women whom you've made as well in your image. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a community. I pray you'd help us here at Gateway Church to work these things out, Lord, in an increasingly technological age, in an age which throws up more and more questions for us about how we handle stuff and how we do life. Lord, I pray that you keep us from ending up like Solomon, who just said, I did all this, and in the end, it was just chasing after wind. It was just meaningless toil. I pray, Lord, you keep us from that. I pray we wouldn't just become weary because of the pressures of the world. I pray even now, as we come back into worship, we might find fresh energy and grace and strength and help from you. Whatever our issue is today, whatever our needs, that we might find ourselves being fed by being with your people and being in your presence. So Holy Spirit, would you breathe in us now? Would you come and move amongst us again? Would you fill our hearts with an assurance of who you are and who we are and what that means for us? Would you give us a greater love for Jesus? Give us a love for one another. Help us to see one another not as potential friction, but as beautiful people made in the image of God with whom we're going to share eternity. And that would be wonderful. Refresh us, I pray. Let us know your grace. Thank you for these few minutes. We can be free of other distractions and we can focus on you. I pray, help us, Lord, in our distracted minds. Help us to focus our minds. Spirit of God, come and renew our minds like Scripture says you do. So we can focus on all that the Father has done for us, all that Jesus is for us. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd minister to us now. Thank you, Lord. Let's come and worship Jesus. It might be there's things that you particularly want to respond to later. It might be that you need to do some more tangible repenting or some practical changes. Today's a great day to make those decisions. Make those decisions in community. Let's come and enjoy Jesus together now.